The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. I would like you to take this little insert in your bulletin. Would you do that and uh, pull it out for, for me? I just want to refer to um, what's coming in the next month or so. We have been working at uh, preparing for the transition, of course, to the new building. And there's so many, so many people working hard behind the scenes and uh, we're excited about the move, and we're also kind of acknowledging with a marker the last month in this building. And so this card is all about that. You'll notice on the one side where it says we are here, it's located right uh, with this address. And in February, you'll get one. It's going to be talking about the first month of Sundays in February uh, in the new building, and it'll have the other address on. And so you'll notice on the back, we've identified each Sunday in January and what it is that we're focused on, the whole theme of remembering. And I uh, just give this to you for the sake of uh, knowing what's coming. And I want to also give you a heads up that uh, there's a, a, in all likelihood, we're going to have a kind of an unplugged Sunday that we're not sure if we're going to have a littler sound system. We're not sure if we're going to have overhead projectors and we're not sure if we're going to put stuff, uh, words of songs in bulletins and it just will be a little different because a lot of the apparatus and stuff that's getting used in the new building is getting moved already. And uh, guys like Wayne and Terrence are working hard with a whole bunch of support staff to get that happening. So pray for them and pray for us. And this is, again, just a heads up of you knowing what's coming. Amen. Would you take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 2? Matthew chapter 2. We're going to stand and read uh, the uh, traditional story this morning. And if you're able to stand right now with me, stand and uh, listen to God's words. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people, chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ, the Messiah, was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. You, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. May God bless his word. You may be seated. I would like to rename my sermon this morning from what it is in the bulletin, Where is the King? We have come to worship him, to calling it instead, Living in the Land of the Shadows. Living in the Land of the Shadows. And you'll See why I think that is an appropriate name for this sermon in a moment. Let me begin by expressing that indeed every Christmas, every year, we have that tendency of romanticizing the story of the nativity. 
We sing Away in a Manger, for example, that wonderful Christmas carol, and we sing the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. And I, I don't know about you, but I think, I don't know if that's in the text, you know. It's likely he was crying, likely he threw up, likely he soiled his diaper. I mean, he was fully God, but he was fully man as well. And that's the way humans start. And so we romanticize. Even though we all love to hear the baby in the manger, the choruses of angels singing to the shepherds, the wise men with their star followed to the, to the place where Jesus is and giving their gifts, there was a real and present darkness on that first Christmas. And we don't often read about it. It was lurking all in and around Bethlehem on that first Christmas. And though we tend not to talk about it, it's part of the story. Just as for many people, each year Christmas is a dark time. Because for them, there is always lurking and overshadowing Christmas, this very real and present darkness. And they choose often not to talk about it. So in order for us, and especially those for whom Christmas is a dark time of loss, of remembrance, of grief, of darkness, so that we all together can know the reality of Emmanuel, God with us. I would like us to now move past verse 12 of Matthew 2 and read a little bit more of the full story that Matthew records. You can remain seated and let me read to you Matthew chapter 2 beginning in verse 13. And when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, he took the child and his mother during the night, and he left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. And when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. And then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. And after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. And he said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judah in place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. And having been warned in a dream, he withdrew instead to the district of Galilee. And he went and he lived in a town called Nazareth. And so also was fulfilled what the prophet said, he will be called a Nazarene. May God bless his word. I see this text being more conducive to the title, Living in the Land of the Shadows. And I want to share with you three shadows that I see in the scripture. The shadow, first of all, of an evil presence. Secondly, the shadow of an evil place. And thirdly, the shadow of an evil plot. So beginning then, let's talk about the shadow of an evil presence. And he is none other than King Herod the Great himself. Matthew is very careful to mention him all throughout the story. In fact, he dominates the story in so many ways, right from verse 1. 
In fact, jo- jo- Josephus, the historian, says that there is more written about him than most historical figures, the Herod the Great. Josephus dedicates two full books just to the life and times of Herod the Great. And uh, the Magi in the story that we read from Matthew go directly to to the king of the region, King Herod, and they inquire who and where is the one that's to be born king of the Jews because they'd seen his star in the east and they'd come to worship him. Now, what you need to understand is that the one who was called the king of the Jews at that time was Herod the Great. And that goes back to 37 BC when after winning an incredibly decisive victory over Parthians in the area of Judah, he returned to to Rome and the Senate crowned him king of Israel, king of the Jews. He returned to Jerusalem, set up shop, and was there for, by the time Jesus comes along, 30 plus years. He'd been king of the Jews. And his reign of Christ, up until the time of Christ, was prosperous. He was an incredibly prosperous king. He not only collected lots of taxes for Rome, but he built huge structures and had a great vision of architecture. Some of his most popular projects include the Second Temple in Jerusalem. Presently, the Western Wall is from the time of Herod the Great. He built that. The fortress in the desert, Masada, you've heard of. That's Herod the Great. The incredible massive harbors along the shores of Caesarea. That's Herod the Great. He was an incredible and productive king. But increasingly over time, as his kingdom wore on, he became proud and he became paranoid. He executed several of his members of his own immediate family simply because of this paranoia to preserve his rule. He had three of his sons killed and his favorite wife also killed. He had nine others, so I guess he had more to fall back on. He had numerous in-laws that were killed. And on his deathbed, it is recorded that he ordered that many dignitaries be arrested in Jerusalem area so that when he died, they would be put to death and there would be mourning in Judah at the time of his death. Incredibly sick man. This was the man that the Magi, the three wise, or the wise men from the east had arrived at in Jerusalem. They followed the star. They arrived, first of all, in Jerusalem. And Matthew tells us in verse 3, that when King Herod heard, what? Heard that there was one born king of the Jews. When he heard that, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Now, why would all Jerusalem be disturbed? Because he's disturbed. Because if Herod isn't happy, nobody's happy. That's the kind of man he was. And so here we see his response to call the chief priests, the teachers of the law. He asked them, what do the books say? Where is this one to be born? They, they read their scriptures and they say from Micah chapter 5, well, according to the scriptures, the, the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem. And so quickly, Herod responds and he sends the Magi to Bethlehem in search of the child and he tells them so that he also may worship him. Verse 12, Matthew tells us that after they had worshipped the Lord Jesus, they were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod 
So they returned to their country another way. And if there would have been border patrols set up at that time, I'm sure that they would have been arrested and they would have been brought back to Herod and they would have been executed because Herod did not want any rival king or any news of a newborn king going out from his kingdom. Such was his jealous insanity. In verse 16, when Herod realized that the wise men had outwitted him and, and that they had escaped, he was furious and he ordered that every male child in the vicinity of Bethlehem under two years of age would be killed mercilessly. And the prophecy of Jeremiah 31.15 was fulfilled. A voice in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. You who grieve this day because no Christmas could ever be the same after one or two or some of the losses that you faced. You who grieve this day like you grieve every day. Listen to the Christmas story with new ears today. For the joy of Mary, whose son was spared for our salvation, does not negate the reality that there was a dark shadow of grief that hung over many mothers on that first Christmas. And the shadow of an evil presence darkened that little town of Bethlehem just months after it was the holy place, birth of place of the King of Kings. And those mothers and those fathers would never be the same. Take comfort in the good company that you are when you read the Christmas story. There was not only the shadow, though, in this text of an evil presence, King Herod, there is the shadow of an evil place. The evil place that stood just five kilometers southeast of Bethlehem. If you've been to Israel, maybe you've seen this. Just five kilometers southeast of Bethlehem was the summer fortress of Herod, a palace that he had built where he had chose to be buried. Today it is called Herodium, the site where he was won a decisive battle against the Parthian army. That victory was the one that gave him that territory. And the summer palace that he had built in 23 BC was built to commemorate that victory. And I have a few pictures of that place. This is, this is Herod's mountain hideaway. This is the palace, the fortress that he had built just south of Jerusalem and five kilometers from that little sleepy village of Bethlehem. If you could just go through them, Kevin. And here he had it built up higher. This is actually viewing it from just outside of Bethlehem. It dominated the hillside, the, the villages and towns around it. It was an excavation that uh, reveals today seven, wall, seven uh, story highs high double walls, and inside they find fortified castle with salons, banquet rooms, courtyards, a bathhouse. In its time, it had extensive tunnels and water reservoirs, gardens and patios. It was a place of refuge. If the Jews ever revolted against um, Herod, he would escape to that place. And it was just 15 kilometers south of Jerusalem, five kilometers southeast southeast of Bethlehem. And so that place that, that is, that is um, so real at the time would have dominated the landscape. 
Everybody knew that was where Herod hung out. Everybody knew that was the place of evil. We can only speculate that it was likely here in this Herodian fortress where Herod met secretly, according to verse 7, with the Magi. That's probably where they met. It was probably here as well in verse 8 that, that the soldiers that were garrisoned there were sent out just five kilometers away to kill the babies that were uh, in Bethlehem and its vicinity. And so the murder of the innocents was dispatched from this fortress. And even as you could see it in the photos today, that it loomed high above all. It was the highest place in the Judean desert. And he could actually see Jerusalem from there, 15 kilometers away. And you can see that that evil presence uh, accompanied by that evil place was where many evil plots were schemed. And that leads to our third point, the shadow of an evil plot to kill the one who was born king of the Jews. When the Magi failed to return with information of the one that was born king, Herod ordered the soldiers to go to Bethlehem, every male child under two years of age. The plot was designed, of course, to kill this Jesus, this baby infant king. And Herod did not kill if perhaps a dozen or more, two dozen other male children were killed at the time. Some people say hundreds. It wasn't hundreds. This was a village. And if you do average uh, thinking on how many of the demographic would be male children under two, we come to the uh, around 12 to 15, perhaps as many as two dozen male children that were killed. And, um, and so we read in the Scriptures in verse 13, that uh, God's purposes were, f were fulfilled. In, uh, we read the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in time. They, es they escaped to Egypt. Again, a fulfillment of prophecy. Joseph and Mary took their child and they left and they traveled as refugees in a foreign land. And they spoke a foreign language for those years. And it's incredible. If you find yourself today, again, on the dark side of Christmas, not being at home with your family, if you find yourself in a foreign land, speaking a foreign language, learning a foreign culture, then be comforted and encouraged by the good company that you have. For our Savior Jesus Christ Himself at a, at a tender age was uprooted from His comfortable home, His quiet little village. Joseph and Mary did what many parents do. They leave their homeland for the sake of their children, for an easier, a better, a safer life. And if you can relate to that this day, Joseph and Mary escaped Herod's evil plot to kill Jesus and the entire holy family resided in Egypt until Herod died. And then uh, Joseph returns back. He hears that his son, uh, Herod's son, is in control still. And so he moves way up north to Galilee, to Nazareth, where he lives. And so has fulfilled the prophecy. What a story we've just read. What a story how... We've tried to read more of the complete story, not just the little baby in swaddling clothes in a manger, but the darkness of the story. This looming shadow of an evil presence, King Herod, whom everybody was afraid of. This place that dominated the landscape high above everything else around it, Herodian. And this evil plot that everybody would have heard about when everyone in the area of Bethlehem would have been affected affected by this death. I want to conclude our time this morning thinking about what we learn from this darker side of Christmas and 
In fact, is there a different shadow that we could hide under than the shadow of darkness at Christmas? And so I've attempted to tell more of the whole story, not just the quaint and clean parts. I've tried to tell the story, especially to those who have experienced grief and loss and death in their families and for whom Christmas can never be the same. I've tried to tell the story, especially to those who have experienced displacement, leaving their countries of birth and origin and having to adjust to a new culture, a new language, and a new home. I've tried to tell the story in more of its completeness and the shadow of evil that often is cast upon our Christmases as well. But I want to conclude by telling you that there is and was and is a far more powerful shadow that you can live and dwell under. And it is the shadow of the Almighty God. I love the scripture in Psalm 91, verse 1. It says, He who dwells in the secret place, in the shelter of the Most High, will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Now notice what the psalmist says. It says, He who dwells in that place will rest in the shadow of the under the shadow of the Almighty. And the and the inference is that if you don't dwell there, you can't find rest there. Just like you and I, if if we did not dwell in our homes, we would not find rest in our homes. And if you choose to dwell in other places, if you find that you're always taken away to the darker places where you dwell in the shadows, you will not find rest under the shadow of the Almighty. But if by a choice you say, I'm going to trust in the Lord, I'm going to exalt in God, I'm going to find my dwelling place and in, in my security in that secret place where He hides me, where I find refuge in Him, then there I can find rest. That's what the Scripture is teaching. And every day we have choices to make. Just as the wise men had choices to make, didn't they, that first Christmas? Knowing that they had met face to face the evil King Herod probably at his fortress hideout, seeing the splendor of it, the power of his army. Why is it that they would feel necessary to go in search of another king of the Jews when they'd met the king of the Jews? Why would they go in search of a little baby born in a stable after having just visited a palace? Why did they follow the star to that place and risk their own demise? Risk disobeying and escaping back to their country another way. Just as they were given choices, we also are given choices every day. We believe what we see as being the real reality. Do we believe the impressive, the powerful, the captivating, the influential, the politically correct, the safe? Or do we believe that in that obscure Son of God that we celebrate at Christmas, that in that story which is so often eclipsed, isn't it, at this time of the year, by myths and fables. Do we believe that in that story, real reality is found? A shadow that has been cast over all of humanity. A shadow that has been cast over every dark shadow of evil presence and places and plots. A dark shadow like that is overshadowed by the shadowing of the Almighty God. 
Just as Mary, remember that two weeks ago we talked about how she was overshadowed by the Lord God Almighty, enveloped in His presence. You, can, I, you and I can be as well. We have a choice to make under the shadow of evil or under the shadow of the Lord Almighty will we live. Satan still casts us in the shadows of evil on earth. Satan still works mercilessly to kill and rob and destroy. I think of how he worked in the life of Job. How he went before God and started accusing Job and God in his overshadowing sovereign way allowed Satan a certain access to Job. And yet, it was God who delivered Job. God who was glorified in Job's life. I think of Paul, the apostle. When it's, it says of him, he says, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. And I asked God three times to take it away, but he said, no, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power will be made perfect in weakness. You see, Satan still is casting his dark shadows over every one of us, seeking to devour, seeking to destroy, seeking to discourage faith. And, and we choose to live there and, and dwell there and not, not find rest there. Or we choose that somehow, even in the midst of a real grief and a real loss, we can find that we can live under the shadow of the Almighty. I really believe that we can do that by faith. We read in the final story, in the final scene of heaven, around that throne that we read about that's coming, when we will all gather around the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And it's amazing that here in this time, when we look at the little manger and we see the little baby at Christmas, that this same Jesus is the one who was crucified 30-some years later. This same little baby Jesus is the one who was resurrected from the dead. This same Jesus is the one that was ascended back to the Father in heaven. This same Jesus is the one who presently is interceding at the right hand of the Father for you and I, every need that we have. This same Jesus is the one that is our soon and coming King. This same Jesus will one day appear in glory. And this same Jesus is the one prophesied of in Revelation where we read that every, every, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. He's Lord. He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we're all going to sit around, stand around His throne. We're going to cast our crowns at His feet and we're going to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. What a wonderful God. What a wonderful God we serve. You know John Bunyan, the one who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, he said that hope is a very interesting thing. He said, hope has a thick skin. And it will endure many a blow. I hope that your hope 
is in Jesus Christ this morning. And that worshiping at the manger is just as same for you as worshiping at the cross, as worshiping at the empty tomb, as worshiping at the second coming, as worshiping around the throne in heaven, because that's the reality, folks. We can live today and we can dwell today under the shadow of the Almighty God, though there yet are shadows of darkness that are real, just as the shadows of darkness in the first Christmas were real. And yet, Joseph and Mary lived under the shadow of the Almighty. Let us pray. Lord God, we come to You, Father, this morning with the reality of knowing, O oh God, that there is darkness in this world. There is shadows that we walk through every day. And Lord, we live in the land of the shadows, and yet we know that that those who live in the land of the shadows have seen a great light. We are blessed to have seen the great light in Jesus Christ. And though our final and ultimate hope is that picture in heaven, we still yet hope today, <clears throat> Lord God, in You. Our hope is in You. And You are the one who gives us the overcoming grace to not let the shadows of evil in this world and in our experience of this life overwhelm and destroy us. But Lord, we rise above it because we believe in You, the sovereign God. And we worship You this day. And we praise You for Jesus. And we thank You that we can still celebrate Christmas. Though grief is in our hearts, sorrow is in our minds, Lord, though loss is in our families, Jesus, we thank You that we can celebrate Your overshadowing presence in our lives. Be glorified in us this week. We ask for your glory and our good. Amen.